The Things I Can Do is a sermon title, Philippians 4, 2 through 13. And you're all familiar with the verse, Philippians 4, 13, I can do all things in him or through Christ who strengthens me. Say that with me. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Philippians 4.13. Now, does that mean that I can pole vault 25 feet in the air, or I can be a lineman for the Falcons, or I can beat Rafi and Nadal on the clay court in tennis? No. What does it mean? In order to figure out what it means, if you want to understand a verse, what do you have to do? Don't take a verse out of context. Look at it in the passage. Because verse 13 is a conclusion of some things Paul is exhorting us to do. And then in the end he says, I can do, basically I can do these things through Christ who strengthens me. So what are the things? Let's look at Philippians 4 verse 2. He's writing. Remember Paul is writing from prison in Rome to one of his favorite churches, Philippi, um, Lydia, the, the lady, of the, the seller of purple, the wealthy lady who funded a lot of the things in church and kept the fund of his uh, offering, his collection going. And so he writes, I entreat Euodia and entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. And I ask you also, true yoke fellow, help these women, for they have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let all men know your forbearance. The Lord is at hand. Have no anxiety about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, Whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is gracious, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me do, and the God of peace will be with you. I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity not that I complain of want, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased. I know how to abound in any and all circumstances. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and want. And the conclusion, I can do all these things through Christ or in him who strengthens me. Let's pray. Father, as we come, there are certain things we would like to do that aren't pleasing to you, and then there are things that we are not doing that you would desire that we would. Help us gain clarity to the things you strengthen and enable us to do, and help us do them with boldness, with courage, realizing that in our weakness, your strength is made perfect. In your name we pray. Amen. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Philippians 4.13. A lot of people memorize that verse and then whatever adversity they might be facing, 
Quote that verse, I can do this through Christ who strengthens me. And, and, and that is true in a lot of respects. But then there are a lot of things that we want to do selfishly that we'll never be able to do. I'll never be able to make a, an A on an exam in quantum physics if I don't study. I'll never be able to make an A in um, geometric math or, or whatever if, if I don't study. I'll never be able to run a four-minute mile. I just won't be able to do that. There are things in athletics, things in academics, things in society that we will never be able to do. So if it's not those things, then what things is Paul talking about we will be able to do in Christ? What things will he be able to strengthen us in order to be able to do in Christ? Well, how do you interpret a verse? Always, this is my lesson, this is the rule, always look at the context. If you ever take a verse out of context, you can make it say just about anything you want to say, and you hear that all the time, people doing that. But if you want to really know what a verse means, look at the setting, look at the context. What has Paul written before? What is he writing after? What is he referencing when he says this particular thing? Well, I think in Christ, there are certain things that we can do, and I list them for you in your bulletin. The first thing we can do is love across our differences. Look at verse 2. I entreat Euodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. And then Paul enlists the help of the church. I ask you, true yoke fellows, help these women. They have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. So Euodia and Syntyche agree in the Lord. You might not agree on every detail. There might be some issues in the church that you don't agree on, but the two of you as leaders in the church can agree in the Lord. Because of, of statements like this, yes, I believe it's possible for Republicans and Democrats to get along in the Lord in church. I believe it's possible for Christians who like contemporary music and, and Christians who like traditional music to get along in the church. We don't know what issue Euodia and Syntyche had between them, what breach occurred between them that grew so much that it created a difference, a separation in the fellowship, in the unity of the body of Christ. And I think it may be a good thing that we don't know what specific issue caused them to separate because if there were a specific issue, then, then we would take it and, and just apply it to that specific issue today. But because it's unspecified, because it's, it's general in nature, then we can take this lesson from Paul and apply it in general to our lives today. Whatever it is separating Euodia and Syntyche, maybe there was a misunderstanding. Maybe there were harsh words uttered, and instead of coming together through Christ who strengthens us and rebuilding those bridges that are so crucial in church, Euodia and Syntyche allowed that difference not only to separate them, but to infect the whole body of the church at Philippi. We don't know a lot about the church at Philippi. We know that it was established when Paul went there. You remember he baptized Lydia, the seller of purple, who apparently was a wealthy woman there in Philippi, and, and she became a benefactor of the church and also of Paul's collection. Whenever he was 
taking up a collection to return it back to Jerusalem, he kept referring to the generosity of the people at Philippi. And here is Paul saying once again, you Odia and Syntyche, I don't know what's going on between you. It doesn't matter. But what does matter is it's affecting the unity of the church. And I believe that in love, Christ can strengthen us to bring those two women together and, and heal the breach that was occurring in that early church. We don't know what it, what it was, but their names may provide a clue because the name Euodia means beautiful word and the name Syntyche means coming together. And so it might be that those two ladies through coming together could speak beautiful words to one another and through speaking beautiful words they could come together and heal the breach, the, the difference that had occurred and agree in the Lord might disagree in other things, but they can agree in the Lord that, that coming together and serving together and working together for the cause of Christ is more important than any differences that might exist between them. And Paul says, you yoke fellows, you other folks in the church who were leaders, you help these ladies, you encourage these ladies to come together, speak beautiful words and come together in Christ and agree in the Lord because Jesus is strengthening us and enabling us to do it. So first of all, all things through Christ who strengthens us, I think Paul is referring to verse 2 above. Help these two ladies come together and help those who have differences to love through our differences. The second thing is in verse 6. Have no anxiety about anything, but in everything... By prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. How in the world are we ever to get to the point where we don't have any anxiety about anything? Paul says it's possible when we let Christ strengthen us. No anxiety. My goodness, there, there are a thousand things that can cause our blood pressure to rise and our hearts to beat faster. We have folks in our church graduating from college looking for a job. We have folks getting ready to go off to college and wonder what their future holds, what kind of career. We have parents who are struggling with children and children who are struggling with parents and folks who are anxious about their job and whether or not they're happy about their health and, and what God's going to do as a result of that. We can be anxious about so many things, and yet Paul says, what does anxiety actually accomplish? Don't be anxious about any things. Do you remember the passage in the Sermon on the Mount where the birds of the air, the flowers of the field, they don't worry, they don't fret, and God takes care of them, and God is going to take care of us too. I read something a few years ago and it said when you worry about something in the future, if you stress and fret and are anxious about something in the future, where is God in that picture? If God has been faithful in the past and he's been faithful in the present, why are we anxious and think somehow he's going to be absent in that future picture when God's there? We don't have to be anxious about anything, no matter what it might be. Money running low at the end of the month. 
people wondering where to fit in, what the new school year is going to offer, the, the change in the zoning. There's so many things we can worry about. Somebody gave me some statistics recently that I, that I think might be true. When you worry, 90% of what you worry about never happens. And the other 10%, you couldn't do anything about it anyway. So why waste time and energy and happiness on worry and on anxiety? God wants you to have an abundant life. He wants you to have a full life. He wants you to be in relationship with him and, and have everything that he created you to enjoy and to have with him. But when we allow anxiety and worry to creep in, it robs us of that joy that he wants us to have. And so Paul says, don't be anxious about it. It won't add one cubit length to your life. It won't make your life that you have any happier. What it will do is rob you of the joy that God wants you. Be anxious, but give thanks for everything. You know, when you, the more you give thanks for something, the less anxiety you have. The greater anxiety you have, the smaller room there is to give thanks. It's like a piece, it's like a pie-shaped piece of pie. The more thanksgiving there is in that pie, the less room there is for anxiety. The more anxiety there is in that pie, the less room there is for thanksgiving. So how do you want to spend your life, anxious or thankful? And if we can be thankful, it squeezes out the room that anxiety wants to take up. We can live through our anxiety, anxious for nothing but giving thanks instead. What else can we do? We can combine our knowing with our doing. Listen to this as in verses 8 and 9. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever... Why is Paul giving us this list? Because he's giving us a list of positive things to think about, to ponder Whatever is lovely, gracious, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Focus on the positive. Focus on the good. And that'll squeeze out the evil and the bad. And then verse 9 is the clincher. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, what? Do. Don't just Think about it. Think about it. It's where you're starting. That's a good start, but it doesn't end there. Once you've thought about it, now do it. And the God of peace will be with you. Do whatever is true. Do whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is gracious. Do those things that are excellent, those things that are worthy of praise. When you think about them, do them. That's why Jesus said, you remember in the upper room in John 13, he had just taken the towel and the basin of water and washed his disciples' feet and gave them a lesson in servanthood. And then in verse 17, he concludes that teaching on servanthood and he says, if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. It's good to know them, but it's even better, and it's blessed to do them. And the word blessed there means happy. Happy are you if you actually do them. 
There's an old hymn in the hymnal. We don't sing it much anymore. It's number 211. I looked it up right before I came in here. I love thee, I love thee, I love thee, my Lord. Do you remember that? I love thee, my Savior. I love thee, my God. You want me to sing it? I love thee, I love thee, and that thou dost know, but how much I love thee, my actions will show. The choir knows it. Most of you know it. How much I love thee, my actions will show. That's combining knowing with your doing. And the fourth thing, listen to verse 11. Not that I have complained, not that I complain of want, for I have learned in whatever state I am therein to be content. Paul's writing from prison. He has known what it is like to live in the lap of luxury as a, a Pharisee before he was con his conversion on the Damascus Road. He knew what it is like to be loved. In Philippi, he also knew what it was like to be in chains in prison in Rome. I know how to be abased. I know how to abound in any and all circumstances. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and want. Whatever state I am, therein I can be content. How can you be content when things are good, when things are bad? Obviously, you can be content Contentment doesn't depend on outward circumstances. Let's be honest. Our outward circumstances are never going to be perfect. And if we're waiting on everything to be just right in order to be happy and contented, it's never going to happen. We're never going to experience the contentment and the happiness that God desires. Contentment, I think, is is based on something that's on the inside. And I think it can be a learned behavior. I think it's something that we can practice by thinking on what is true and honorable and just and pure and lovely and gracious. By thinking on these things and doing these things, I think contentment can be a fringe benefit of that. I mean, a lot of us were blessed with a wonderful home environment to grow up in. Christian parents um, who loved each other, uh, uh, siblings who get along and, and having a good education and the clothing and the food and the shelter, having everything we need. A lot of us grew up like that, but, but does that mean folks who grow up Christians in Palestine, Christians in Muslim areas like Indonesia or Baghdad, does that mean they can't be content? No, because contentment is not based on outward circumstances. It's based on a relationship with God through Christ that we have learned to develop and cultivate. We can live with contentment. Paul did, and my goodness, he was, he was in prison when he wrote this letter, and yet he said, I can be content even sitting here in this jail, sailed, uh, chained to this guard, and writing this letter to you. If Paul can be content like that, maybe you and I can be content in our situation. So Paul is saying, I can do all these things through Christ who strengthens me. What things? Loving across differences, 
living with anxiety, combining our knowing, our head knowledge with our doing, and being content in the situation that Paul or that, that God has placed us in. We can do all those things. And, and let's be honest, if we can do these four things, that's pretty good. <laughs> what else matters? If we can love and live without anxiety and, and know and do what is right and true and be content, that's what matters in life. And Paul says that Christ strengthens us to be able to do those things. I alluded to this earlier, but I was reading a story about a, a young man, strapping, healthy, early 20s, very socially outgoing, everybody liked him, but came down with an illness. A pastor wrote this story up in Holland, Michigan, and he said this young, hard, hard to diagnose, but eventually they figured out he had leukemia. And uh, a, a really, a, just a few years to live. As he was approaching death in the hospital, he called for the pastor. And, and the pastor went and he wrote this story about going to see him and, and how difficult it was to see this once big, strong, healthy body now suffering. And um, his parents were there and it was just a sad time. And the young man wanted the pastor to know. He said, and you can tell this has happened about 20 years ago. He said, I've learned that life is not like a VCR. You can't fast forward past the bad stuff. But I've also learned that Jesus is still in every frame. And right now, that's enough. If Jesus is in every frame, guys, in the past and the present, he's going to be in every frame in the future. And we can love. And we can live without anxiety. And we can continue doing those things that are good and honorable and true and just. And we can be content. Because it's going to be okay. Jesus is going to be in every frame in the future. Just as he has been in the past and with us now. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Everything, everything that God desires you to do, like loving and living without anxiety and doing the good things and living with contentment. Paul could. Paul can do it only through Christ. Then you and I can do it too. C.K. Chesterton was a, kind of a, a writer in the early 20th century and, and uh, wrote some interesting things. One, one of his little sayings, Christians ought not be better than other people ought to be, but they ought to be better than other people are. Christians ought not, everybody ought to be good, but Christians ought to be better than other people actually are. And we can be through Christ who strengthens us. Let's bow together.
Father, help us take these words to heart and do them, not just hear them, not just be aware of them and know them and learn them, but actually do them. Loving those that we have differences with. Living through anxiety. Combining doing with what we know to be true. And practicing contentment, regardless of our outward circumstances. Help us do these things because you're in us and you strengthen us and you enable us to do it. In our weakness, your strength is made perfect. And so we're going to rest in that this day and the days ahead. In Jesus' name, amen.